Today is Tuesday, the 22nd of February, 2022. Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Hooray! One of our favorite feasts. It's a big one. It's Tuesday, T-W-O-S-D-A-Y, and we're, we have a situation where we have two popes, sort of. Um, yeah, uh. I just thought that all goes together on, on this interesting combination of numbers and feasts. <laughs> two, two. Deuces two. are wild, baby. Deuces are wild. <laughs> Welcome to episode 167 of the Barnhard Podcast. This is Mark Doherty along with Anne and possibly Super Nerd and... Dr. Matza in the house. Hooray! In the house, our hero. Hey guys. The new <laughs> well. the new face, the new face of the uh Benedict is Pope movement. Well done, sir. We are we are just indescribably proud of you. Well, you guys made it all possible and Aww. and I and I'm actually sharing it at the moment with Patrick Coffin, which is something we can get into. Yep. Oh yeah. We have to debrief all of that. There we have a lot to talk about. So Mark. What, where are we going? Well, we, we have a lot to talk about. Things are accelerating, and the Overton window has been mm-hmm. uh, shifted a couple a couple hops here to, to the right. Mm-hmm. And uh, suddenly the, the question of, is Benedict the Pope, the one and only true Pope, seems to be exploding upon the, the stratosphere in the last few weeks. And, of course, Dr. Matza is at, at the forefront of the effort, but we've had, why don't we start with, there's been multiple things happen here, and we need to get caught up on each one, but Mm -hmm. why don't we start with the uh, live in real time debate with uh, Stephen O'Reilly from Roma Locuta Est, and we, 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 one of us participated in that, and two of us watched it, and I have a pretty good idea of, whose arguments I think, well, actually, I think only one side had arguments, but Dr. Matza, I'll leave it to you. Oh, well, um, first of all, I want to thank uh, Timothy uh, Gordon for having us on. Uh, I think, you know, we're making progress in the yeah. in the online Catholic world, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and then secondly, um, I, I appreciated the format because it, it, it gave me the opportunity to speak, you know, unobstructed. Uh, and, uh, I really like the format very much, you know, the, especially the 10 minute opening and the 10 minute closing. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah. I just, uh, I felt really good about it. Can, can I, can I give, can I say the things that a lot of people in com boxes and so forth were saying and just get it on the record? Um, like you said, Dr. Matza, it, it was good. And I really liked that format and and how Timothy Gordon kept was disciplined about the, the time blocks and so on and so forth. It, it was really well done. And it allowed you guys to, you know, develop your thoughts and make your points. Um, I, I was um, surprised. I was surprised. I've never had any real direct interaction with Stephen O'Reilly. I mean, it's 
I just, uh, no, I just, I don't get into all that. You know, the, the Twitter, I'm not on social media, so I'm not in those Twitter wars or, or anything like that. He's emailed me a couple times. He is good about when he mentions somebody in a blog post, he emails them and tells them, I mentioned you in a blog post. So, I mean, that's kind of a, right. a professional right. courtesy sort of a thing. And he does always do that. However, let me just say what everyone was thinking. First of all, Dr. Matza appears and looks like an absolute rock star rocking that excellent, you know, teal button down collar shirt with the matching monochrome tie look and looks like a million dollars. And Mr. O'Reilly looked like Steve Bannon's sloppier younger brother who had just rolled out of bed and reached in the dirty clothes hamper and gotten out a sweater and put that on. And now that's not germane to anybody's arguments. That's not germane to any argument, but it, it was off-putting. And then just in general, Mr. O'Reilly seemed unprepared. Dr. Matsu, you obviously, I mean, if somebody says, I'm gonna give you a 10 minute opening statement, you need to sit down and basically write that bad boy out. You, you need to have either very, very thorough, um, uh, bullet point notes in front of you so that you can speak extemporaneously, but in a very clear progression and make all of your points. Or you need to have a, a fully written script. You just write it out and read it. Dr. Matza, you sound you gave a beautiful 10 minute opening. It was it was clearly pre prepared, well thought out systematic. And I think that Mr. O'Reilly was just speaking off the top of his head. He really sounded um, completely unprepared. And then, of course, it has to be mentioned, everyone was just dying in agony the whole time. This has been in every comm box. It was in the YouTube comments and everything else. Mr. O'Reilly, please, you need to learn how to pronounce the word emeritus. Um, and, you know, we, everyone was laughing and I mean, listen to me, I'm, I'm, I'm coaching the other side here. I'm literally sitting here coaching the opposition. But you lose, you lose so much credibility when you do something like just wildly, egregiously mispronounce a, a key term in the center of the topic, in the center of the, of the debate. Mr. O'Reilly, the word is emeritus. Emeritus, not em emeritus or amaretto or whatever it is you were saying, it, and it was it was embarrassing, and it it completely you ham you hamstrung yourself, Mr. O'Reilly, just by virtue of the fact that you couldn't pronounce a key term. Um, so it's it, it's un it's embarrassing, and that's the thing about me is I have a really hard time. Um, watching anything where anyone is embarrassing themselves, even including like I, ca I can barely and oftentimes don't watch clips of like Biden, you know, um, Biden is a horrible, horrible, awful man, but he also is dying of dementia and I cannot watch and, and certainly I cannot relish in him being, um, embarrassed like that really anything where anyone is just embarrassing themselves and that made it really hard for a lot of us to sit and you know quietly pay attention to mr o'reilly while he was talking because it was just so cringe 
know your business, know your terms, know how to pronounce things. And Dr. Matsu, you kept, you kept saying the word. I could tell that you were like saying it so that he would hear you pronouncing it. And maybe he would say, oh, <coughs> uh, emeritus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, you, you, were trying to, you were trying to bail the brother out, but oh my gosh, it was, it was painful. But so that said, every, that's off the table. We don't need to talk about it anymore. But, you know, Dr. Matza, again, well done. You did such a good job. Because well, you guys were praying for me. Aw. <laughs> you did your homework. Yeah, I tested, it out on, I tested out my opening statement on Tatiana before I went on air. And so there was Russian collusion involved. Oh. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it's all Putin. And Putin's all over everything. <laughs> So, Mark, what, what are our bullet points? What should we go through? Well, I, I just want to revisit this. I said it at the top, but it, it's not to be underplayed, the, the, the Overton window aspect of this, and that it, it really is um, kind of bursting on the scene and, the, and, and how irritating that appears to be for certain, you know, Francis is definitely Pope, people it, it's real the fact that that this won't go away and yeah. in fact is only uh seemingly building to a crescendo mm -hmm. we we really have some folks um like michael voris that are are not happy about things and and they're so unhappy that he can't even have a reasoned debate with himself he has to rage at the camera for yeah. for half an hour on on his uh, on his show, but I thought the second I thing felt that sorry we... for the guy sitting next to him. I know. Yeah. I know. The guy was sitting next. That was painful. It so was like the know, time we... when uh, you guys are. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You guys remember ahead, the, the uh, during the during the primary season in 2016 when um, I think it was the Florida primary and Trump came out and gave a speech and Chris Christie was standing there next to him. Do you do you remember that one? Not specifically. What was Christie just sweating like a whore in church, or what? Well, he, he he didn't know what to do with himself. Like like you know, Trump is surrounded by American flags, and he's saying we're going to bring back all these jobs. We're going to bring back the companies to the. And he just he didn't know what to do because he was like kind of like standing there. And then Saturday Night Live did a whole skit on that. They they had one of those cardboard cutouts of Christie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it just it just reminded me of that. I just felt sorry for the poor guy. I had to sit there and you know, t take all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre, and it's um, I don't I don't want to. I hope this isn't going to completely throw off our groove. But you look at Coffin, you look at Patrick Coffin, and and his coming out. <laughs> isn't it funny that we're now using that term in reference to something else? Um, that and in his coming out as Benedictus Pope, and I don't want to speak for him, and I've never had any any communications with him ever. Um, but it seems to me that he he has experienced exactly the same thing that I experienced, that Mark experienced, that Dr. Matza experienced, and it's the same thing that I experienced um, when I was converting to Catholicism, and that is the fact that at a certain point, there is so much data and so much evidence in front of you that is so undeniable that you, you can no longer go on um, denying something because to do so is it imparts a certain a certain sense of, of profound disobedience 
that you're being disobedient by this willful sp suspension of disbelief, like when you're converting that the Catholic Church isn't the one true church, which, you know, at a certain point, you read enough of the church fathers and you've just been punched in the mouth so much, it's, you feel disobedient at a certain point at not acknowledging it. And I think it's, it's the same process and it's the same thing that people are going through. And it's what I puzzle about, now pivoting back to, to Gordon, is that Gordon can can rattle off, you know, Bergoglio is clearly a heretic. He's probably not even Catholic. He, da, 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 da. He, he can just, he can recite chapter and verse of all of this, but then, but then he clearly hasn't come to the point where he feels that sense of disobedience that he's basically denying the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, you know? Um, I, I don't get it. And then Voris, I mean, that is so corrupted with, with money and all of that. I, I, you just, I just, it, it almost doesn't even merit serious discussion, even as to speculating what, what are these people's motives? Cause it's, there's clearly something so terribly, terribly wrong with church militant and everyone can see that. And the biggest manifestation of that right now is the fact that they're doing this Easter Triduum booty camp where, okay, yeah, we'll have some bad liturgies in a, in a hotel. And, but then the center, the centerpiece of the Triduum, while the anti-Pope is literally trying to suppress the venerable right of, of Pius V. And people are thinking this might be the last Easter Triduum I get in a proper church and not in some underground somewhere. No, let's let's go to the Ramada Inn and have ballroom um, Novus Ordo masses and then listen to Voris and My Milo Yiannopoulos that this is going to be what we're going to do over the Triduum. It, it, it's so obvious that there's something so horrifically, horrifically wrong in Ferndale uh, that it's, um, I don't know, you, you almost don't need to give it too much more than that, you know? You, 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 cite, you say what it is and then you move on, you know? I got the clear impression when I watched Voris's screed from last Friday that he, especially when he offered to have Taylor Marshall come on and debate him and, and, and Voris will pick up all expenses. At this point, I'm thinking, okay, this is, he just, he just laid out his whole agenda. He wants to buy Taylor Marshall's audience, even if it's only mm. for one show, because mm -hmm. I, one of the things I, I, I never noticed until this point was Taylor, Taylor Marshall has at more than 50% greater audio followers on YouTube than Voris does. And I'm sure that just gnaws at Voris, the professional media guy, that yeah. a dad with a webcam is just kicking his butt up one, one side of the street and down the other and actually delivering content that is valuable to Catholics. Which, which leads to the question, how in the world does Church Militant have the, the multi, multi, multi-million dollar annual budget they have if Taylor Marshall has way more has a larger audience than they do it's it's weird it's where where is this money coming from and why why this war on the sspx when good grief <laughs> the, the the infiltration and the corruption in the priesthood is everywhere what why is it that you know the the sspx is a pedophile sex cult when sadly you know over the past decades even even in Tradyland there have been incidences of this garbage almost everywhere by now. What's the deal with the SSPX? Where, where is all of this money coming from? 
And why, why is Voris uh, in bed, and I put that in, in scare quotes, why is he in bed with a flaming, flamboyant sodomite who's admittedly he's trying to be ex-gay, but Milo Yiannopoulos has a counter on one of his uh, social media or website property, properties that is literally number of days without sodomy, and it periodically resets to zero. Why? Why is is does this have any credibility? Why is anyone continuing to, to follow this? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But we need to get back on topic. We need to get back to the issue, which is, of course, the fact that Pope Benedict never validly resigned. Mark, get us back on track, baby. Well, let, let's go back to Patrick Hoffman, because I, the, the, one of the things that I appreciate about his um, delivery is that he's the opposite of what uh, Voris's reaction is. He's got, mm -hmm. his, he's got his facts together. He can, can reel off the, the you know, by, by chapter and verse, mm -hmm. all of the different points of evidence and do it in a very calm and collected manner. And that's what he did. And that's what he's been defending for the last week or however long it's been. Yeah. Uh, defending it on uh, YouTube, defending it on Twitter, you name it, because everybody is uh, attacking him for daring to bring up the subject, let alone uh, yep. present the proof set. Yep. So, and I think it, you were mentioning how, you know, once it comes together, how do you how do you live with yourself if if you don't uh, you know kind of push it all into a pile and then point at it because souls are at risk and you finally see how this thing comes together with all the different points of evidence in the way I kind of describe it is uh, at first you have puzzle pieces on the table and each individual puzzle piece you can stare at it all day and it doesn't look like much but once you start putting them together you see the picture exactly and, and you can't unsee it yeah and you know a, a big argument that people make all the time is you know authority who do you think you are um you know people talking about whether or not people have degrees or not and dr matza i mean thank thank god that you have piled high and deep after your name ha 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 we love you but i mean thank thank god that you are lettered because at least the, at least they'll let you in the door you know um but the answer to this and you get you get this question a lot is um you know we're being told that we lay people cannot so much as even ask any questions this what is the refutation to this because this is clearly wrong it's it's against um the 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 part of the part in the gospel where the disciples of john the baptist john sends them he's in prison and he sends his disciples to ask our lord who who are you now remember john the baptist knows exactly who our lord is john the baptist is our lord's cousin john the baptist is and our and john the baptist baptized our lord and and john the baptist proclaimed our lord's divinity at his baptism um so he sends his disciples not because he's inquisitive and he doesn't know who our lord is he sends them for their own good so they go and what does our lord say they ask our lord you know who are you and our lord doesn't come out and say i am the second person of the triune godhead i am god incarnate da, da, da. he i am the messiah he doesn't say that he says 
what do you see? What do you hear? The, bl the blind see, the lame walk. W you know, draw, draw a conclusion from this and then go back and tell John what your conclusion is. You see, that's all part of the process. And so for us, where this comes in and what the answer to this question of by what authority are you making these determinations, it's the sacrament of confirmation, which is the most forgotten of the seven sacraments. When you are confirmed, you receive these gifts from the Holy Spirit, one of which is the gift of counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. And what that is, is right judgment. And if you drill down and say, what is the definition of right judgment? It is the ability for a person in real time to apprehend a data set and then properly interpret it and draw good conclusions from that. Right judgment, formally called, uh, formally, F-O-R-M-A-L-L-Y, called counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. It's one of the gifts that you receive at confirmation. You, you are expected to think, to be able to think, and this is, you know, you, we have faith and we believe that the sacraments are efficacious and that if we are in a state of grace, that, that the fruits of our confirmation, whether we received it when we were kids or teenagers or as I did when I entered the church in 2007, you believe that that's real and you can call on, on God the Holy Ghost from whom these gifts flow and say, please, you know, increase in me this gift of counsel, this gift of right judgment. I pray for this all the time. Don't let me make any mistakes. Let me be able to always clearly see what's going on in real time. And right now, the explicit prayer every day is, um, please, God, let me always be able to clearly see and identify the church militant which is visible in terrible eclipse. Let me always be able to clearly see what is and what is not the church as we move forward in this process of the cleaving of the church from the anti-church. It's incredibly important. And there is a prayer um, that you can pray for um, the activation of the gifts of your confirmation or the reactivation or the increase of the gifts of your confirmation. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes. I just sent it to you on Signal. I wasn't yes, sure. I wasn't sure if I got that from you or some, somebody else, but I thought given the way the conversation is going, this would be perfect to put in the show notes. Indeed. Perfect. Yep. So yeah, we, we do have the ability to think and to work through these things and figure out what's going on. And people are saying, well, you have to wait until there's an authoritative statement by you know, cardinals or some authority in the church, somebody, or there's a imperfect council called and, and XYZ is declared. Guys, um, the, the analogy I made the other night was when that happens, that's gonna be the very, very, very last final thing that happens in this process, akin to um, sprinkling parsley as a garnish on top of a plate in a restaurant just as it's getting ready to be taken out and served. What, what is the antecedent to all that? Somebody's got to cook the food. 
Somebody has to cook the food before the final flourish of sprinkling with parsley and mwah, chef's kiss and out it goes. That's the, the official declaration by Holy Mother Church that X, Y, and Z has, has just happened and that Bergoglio is an anti-pope and Pope Benedict was always the pope since April of 2005, etc. The official declaration is the very, very, very last thing. You can't say, I want the last thing first. You have to go through, you have to peel the potatoes. You, you have to cook the steak. You have to do all of the other stuff first. You have to make the sauce, everything. That Can all has my... to come first. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Anne. Can I do my, sw my Swedish chef impersonation? Yes, you can. More ringtones. More ringtones. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, yes. You're so bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Stephen O'Reilly, if you're still with us, sweetheart, when you're doing something like that, you need to go ahead and silence your phone, okay? You just. <laughs> How many times did it go off? Three, four? It was just <laughs> silence the phone, sweetheart. It's, and the fact that it was I, I Dream of Jeannie was just, it was, it, again, talk about chef's kiss. Boy, that was just, mwah, that was a chef's kiss in the whole thing. So <laughs> there you go. Swedish chef, I Dream of Jeannie. We cover everything on the Barnhart Podcast. <laughs> So um, I couldn't help but think uh, in your in your discourse there, Anne, that uh, you know. Then we have the parallel to Matthew eleven, where uh, uh, Jesus asked uh, John's disciples. John was trying to shake off these last two disciples, and Jesus put it back on them. Yeah. What, what do you see? What's the evidence? The parallel is today's gospel, the feast of the chair of Saint Peter, mm -hmm. where. Jesus puts it back on Peter. Who do you, you say that say I am? You say that I am, exactly. Not, not go ask the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin or the high priests. Who do you yep. say that I am? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's you, you need to use your rational intellect. God gave it to you for a reason to, to figure things out and lead you to the truth. And also, Good Shepherd Discourse, Good Shepherd Discourse, which is massive in this, obviously. It is incumbent upon the sheep, the sheep, to discern the voice of the shepherd and also to discern who is a faithless hireling, et cetera, et cetera, and who is, and who is a wolf. It is incumbent upon the sheep. That is us, the unlettered lay nothings. We are the sheep. And every one of us, as we know, will stand before Christ alone at our particular judgment. There's not going to be any finger pointing. Well, he said, well, well, the faithless hireling said, I, I, it is completely not germane what the faithless hireling said because it is morally incumbent upon me 
to figure to figure this out. And if you hear if you hear the growling of wolves and you continue to delude yourself and continue to try to bully and delude others into believing that that is the voice of the shepherd when everybody knows that it isn't and it, and it's obvious that it isn't um talk about talk about you know Voris with all of his flaming rhetoric about you're on you're on the road to hell i mean this is the textbook definition of scandal scandal is doing something that either causes somebody else to sin or causes somebody else to to lose their faith and you know going into schism or trailing off anti after an anti-pope that that is a species of losing your faith so you know voris and all that accusing everybody of of schism and and leading people to hell I'm sorry, but I think that's just a tiny bit of projection there. And if I if I were him, I'd I'd take my wig off and and you know rub my scalp and and do some serious thinking about what exactly it is that you're doing by bullying people into being in union with a man who everybody can clearly see is evil, is an apostate, and is probably the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. I mean, it's it's just it's unbelievable. Send send your uh, tax your tax exempt donation today. Yeah, it's uh, when you when you come to realize that you can't that you, you can't violate the law of non contradiction, and you can't be in union both with Catholicism and with Bergoglio. Yep. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. So that kind of, uh, I guess, just to cap all that off, is our old friend Canon seven forty eight point one, which I mm. am prepared to read off here if you'd like me to. You you absolutely should. Just in thinking in terms of personal responsibility and using your rational intellect. All persons, all persons are bound to seek the truth in those things which regard God and His Church, and by virtue of divine law are bound by the obligation and possess the right of embracing and observing the truth which they have come to know. Yep. Amen. 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 I mean, we Catholics, I remember when before I had converted and you heard you would hear anti-Catholics talking and one of the things they would say is those those damn Catholics, they're just they're they're robots. They're told they have to check their brains at the door. They check their brains at the door. And you know, when when you start actually diving into Catholicism and reading and studying, you realize that it is the most intellectually robust thing you've ever encountered in your life and well obviously so because the data set that you're dealing with is the infinite so um it, it's literally never ever ever ending and so you realize that not only is it anti-intellectual it's it's the most pro-intellectual robustly intellectual thing that you could that you can possibly encounter as a human being but that's what people say about catholics all the time is that they oh they just check their brains at the door they do whatever the pope tells them and now you and sure enough now you've got this contingent of people who are just embracing that that stereotype and embracing that air and saying you have to check your brain at the door you may not think you may not draw any conclusion you may not you may not judge anything oh that's another point i wanted to bring up people are saying all the time um the the 
the office of the papacy, the Petrine See, that office can never, ever, ever be judged. No one judges the Petrine See. And it's like, guys, you understand that that's talking about canonical trials, right? Uh, do, do you think that if the, if the Pope appears on the Logia of St. Peter's, slaughters, rapes, drinks the blood of a four-year-old boy, that none of us are allowed to make any moral judgment about that act? Are you kidding me? Talk about checking your brain at the door. So that clearly is wrong. Of course, of course you make a, you draw a moral conclusion. Of course you judge that act. So what in the world does it mean when canon law says the, 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 the Petrine Sea is judged by no one? It means canonically, you can't, you can't hold a canonical trial of the Pope. Um, that, that is all that that's referring to. So again, people talking about things that they, they really don't understand and, and twisting these sorts of things in order to fit in this bizarre, this bizarre narrative of, of shut up stupid, you know? I mean, it's, it's no good. Mm. Indeed, indeed. Okay, uh, the next topic up that I have is Father Paul Kramer of mm. Fatima fame, and he has been. It turns out it's 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 not just in the past few weeks because I've gone back and looked at looked at his Facebook, and he's actually been at least since November talking about some things regarding the third secret, which at least one thing that I had never heard before, and um, just very interesting given given current events, and again where you. I know we three and, and many others all think that uh, uh, all of this is is intimately caught up in Fatima, and really, how could it not be? Oh, how could it not be? Yeah, yeah. So, and in whatever whatever is the central message of of the third secret has not been made publicly known, and what has been made publicly known is is clearly not has either been tampered with or or it's clearly not the whole thing. So, I don't know, Doc, if you want to take a jumping off point here. Sure. Um, well, yeah, you know, <clears throat> Father Gruner, uh, God bless him, made the point that uh, it's all in the third secret, okay? The, the bishop dressed in white who we, we thought he was the pope. He, we had the idea he was the, you know, we had the impression he was the pope, but then he wasn't the pope because later on Lucia says the Holy Father, you know, gets killed by arrows and, and bullets um, in the vision of the third secret. But Father Gruner says that if you want to know what's going on right now, it's, it's all in the third secret. So if the Vatican in 1960 had revealed it, or if, in, or if in the year 2000 they had revealed the text as well as the vision, um, we wouldn't have to be, you know, doing what we've been doing for the last, uh, what is it now, six or seven years here, trying to decipher what's going on with Bergoglio and Benedetto here, right? It, it would be mm -hmm. right there in black and white. So that's the first thing. <clears throat> um, and... Uh, uh, in terms of Father Kramer's uh, work, um, he has been, well, the part that is fascinating in terms of current events, um, he brought up something that uh, I think uh, Father Malachi Martin brought up in one of his uh, Art Bell radio interviews back in the day, mm -hmm. and that is, is, you know, he let slip that uh, apparently uh, Kiev, you know, the capital of Ukraine, uh, and Moscow, the capital of Russia, uh, have something to do with the third with the third secret. 
Apparently. Oh, 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 that has nothing to do with anything. Oh my goodness. As we're sitting here, I think the tanks are are rolling in right now, I believe. Literally as we're recording this. Let the record show. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But also Father Kramer makes the point that the uh, you know, the, the false uh, pope is is in there as well in the third secret. Mhm. And I just posted a thing yesterday uh what is today today's tuesday so it was yesterday i wanted it sitting there cooking um on monday while all these um debates and so forth were going on that um malachi martin wrote in the in the climactic scene one of the climactic scenes in windswept house on page 553 when the the pope signs the the putative resignation document Malachi Martin, the entire, the entire narrative revolves around the fact that the Pope makes, makes the specific distinction between the Petrine office and the, and the Bishop of Rome. And now, do, you, do we honestly think that that's just a coincidence? This book was published in 1996. Martin's been dead since 1999. He never he he died while JP two was still pope for six more years. Um, and I suspect the reason that Malachi Martin thought that JP two, which he refers to in Windswept House as the Slavic pope, who is pressured into fake resigning. The reason why he thought JP two was the one that the Freemasons were going to get was I assume he knew that JP2 had already been um, diagnosed with Parkinson's when he started writing Windswept House. And so we thought, oh, okay, here it is. The Freemasons are gonna get him to resign, you know, tied all up in this business of Parkinson's. And Martin didn't realize that the Slavic Pope was not going anywhere. And the Slavic Pope was willing to publicly suffer and die uh, what looked to be a, a, a painful and agonizing death from Parkinson's in the public eye rather than resign. So Martin didn't realize that it was Ratzinger who was going to be the one. Um, obviously, Martin didn't know for a certainty that Ratzinger would be the successor to JP2. Um, but Ratzinger is in windswept house. And I, I looked up and Ratzinger's code name in Windswept House means in German clear sanity, if I'm not mistaken. It's 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 really interesting. So um it's Fatima, Windswept House. I mean, I'm not putting I'm not putting Martin and Windswept House on the on the same level as, you know, apparitions by the mother of God by any means, but if all these things are saying the same thing, and Catherine Emmerich all saying the same thing with just absolutely bizarrely pre precise details, um, it's uh, and again, the, it's consilience. You've this blood. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Anne. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, the, and he also wrote the keys of this blood, uh, which came out 30 years ago, and he says that uh, there are three dreadful outcomes that are possible. Uh, you know after John Paul dies. And one of them, he says, the first outcome is the day when a sizable body of clergy and laity become convinced, rightly or wrongly, that the then occupant of the apostolic throne of Peter is not 
perhaps never was a validly elected pope. So he, he writes that, you know, 30 years ago. Okay. And okay. 33 years ago, he actually gave an address uh, to a group of people in Detroit. And he said at one point during the hour and a half speech, he said, we're facing what we may have to face, finally, the false pope, unquote. Mm-hmm. Now, Father Martin is somebody who presumably read The Third Secret. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. he said. Oh, yeah. So it's all in there. Yep. And this it's absolutely bizarre when you see this intransigent denial and just viciously going after censoring. I mean, character assassination, calumny, everything going after people who even just pop up their head and say, I think something might be wrong here. Not, not, I mean, not even taking, not even taking a stand. I mean, what did Taylor Marshall say that people are just losing their mind? It, what, what were they going to have a debate about? I can't. Uh, oh, that Taylor Marshall said that Bergoglio is a heretic, and that's that's what Voris is going to debate with him. I, I, what Voris? What are you even going to say? That that's so. It's like debating whether or not the sun rises in the east. What what's the what's the contra to that? I mean, it's just. Well, <laughs> Voris was saying that he he was coming at it from the angle of Taylor Marshall has no authority to call Bergoglio a heretic, as if he doesn't understand the distinction between material heresy and formal heresy. It, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm, it, which he probably a layman doesn't. has the has the ability and and you could say the moral duty to call out heresy, Absolutely. no matter who it is. Yep. And that and that's in yeah, that's in holy scripture. Even if if even if an angel comes to you and says something that is against this, then you ignore the angel. That's is that that's Saint Paul, isn't it? Um, yes, and Saint Paul also says. I think it's in the letter to to Titus, is it, or the or in Second Corinthians, um, that you know you, you you should avoid the heretic. Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and he gives like instructions about that about you know after he's been admonished and this and that. And the, the, the great biblical commentator Cornelius Alapide, is that how you say uh, his yeah. name? Yeah, Alapide, I, I believe. From the, the, uh, yeah. From the 19th Emiratus, century. Emiratus, Lapide, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know if you, do you. Actually, do you guys remember that honey, Honeymooners episode where uh, Ralph and, and Norton were putting on a play and they were practicing it? And um, there's a line in it that Norton kept messing up. And he kept saying, a string of Palopanies. And the, the real line is, a string of polo ponies. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then when they do it, for real, you know, on, on, on the night of the, the performance, uh, either Ralph messed it up because he was listening to Norton, or Norton messed it up because he was always messing it up. And then somebody comes up to, you know, some director comes up to Ralph afterwards, I, I, one thing I didn't understand in the play, what is a polopony? What is a polopony? <laughs> Sounds like some Greek thing or something. Exactly. <laughs> I'll have some polopony with my sivlaki. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it sounds like dessert. But, uh, but Cornelius Alapide, or polopony, whatever. Um, <laughs> Cornelius of the polo that, ponies, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that Paul was not talking about, um, goodness gracious, a formal heretic. 
he was actually talking about material heretics, mm -hmm. which um, brings me to my next very interesting quote. Uh, you know, after um, Marshall came out and said what he said, and then especially after Voris uh, jumped on him, uh, I've done some digging, and you'd never guess what I found. Of all the people in the world, uh, Karl Rahner oh has my. actually weighed this in on this. This should be good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, this is gold, actually. Now, this is very early Karl Rahner. This is Karl Rahner when he was, you know, Catholic. <laughs> I found Whoa. an article from 19... <laughs> I found an article. Take that, all you seminary rectors from 1979. Um, I found an article <laughs> from Rahner from 1946. Wow, okay. Just three, right. yeah, three years after Pius XII came out with his encyclical, Mystici Corporis Christi, which um, Marshall was uh, quoting from, where, where Pius says that, you know, heretics and schismatics and apostates uh, do not belong to the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what, of course, Bergoglio uh, denied when he gave his little yep. Wednesday audience. Um, in, that's just uh, a few weeks ago now, isn't it? Hall. Yeah, the haunted hall. The serpent house at the zoo. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So we should probably just um, explain that in case the uh, listenership um, yeah. di didn't catch wind of that. What the serpent the serpent house at the Vatican? The or? <laughs> the, the the fact that um, Bergoglio made a point a, a very specific point of saying that all apostates blasphemers they are all part of the communion of saints. The communion of saints, yes, the communion of saints. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So back to Rahner. Yeah. Oh, so back to Rahner. So here we go. So Rahner writes this article in 1946 commenting on, you know, what was the teaching of the church before Pius's encyclical and what is the teaching of the church after Pius's encyclical? And I'll just read the money line. For the same reason, we must, however, go even further now and state that even those public heretics and schismatics who either cannot be proved to be, or in fact are not in heresy or schism, through formal sin or subjective guilt, are outside the church. In short, even heretics and schismatics in good faith, mm -hmm. i.e. merely material heretics or schismatics, do not belong as members to the visible church. Runner on the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> runner. Formal. Yeah, 1946. Yeah. We don't need to prove formal heresy, according to Runner. Mm -hmm. And he says that not only does he say this, but he says it is the majority opinion of theologians today, meaning 1946 that uh, even merely material heretics and schismatics are not members of the visible church. Well, sure, and it stands to reason. It's just common sense. If, if someone is a heretic or a schismatic and they die, they go to their particular judgment, what, what do you think? Our Lord is going to say, well, you were neverly, never formally declared to be, so therefore I can't hold any of this. I, it, I mean, it's, it's madness. It's absolute madness. Um, the, it just, the argument the, that, that, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the argument that Rahner makes here, he says that um, if formal public heretics and schismatics were members of the church, then there could no longer be any question of a visible unity of the church right. yep. through a oneness of faith and of ecclesiastical jurisdiction, both of which factors are declared by the church's teaching to be constitutive elements of her visible unity. And he quotes the Council of Florence uh, mm -hmm. regarding heretics and, and schismatics. But as I say, then he takes it one step further and says, by the same logic, even people who are guiltless, uh, you know, in good faith, if they're public material heretics, they're no longer members of the visible church. And later on in the article, he says that this would, this would apply to even a pope because the pope is the, the visible symbol of, of unity of the church. Yep, yep. I mean, and going back to your point that you just made about that and that Rahner made about oneness, the visible oneness of the church, the church is one holy Catholic and, apost and apostolic. And the oneness is the first mark of the church. In the Bergoglian anti-church, what Bergoglio has been saying all along and what he made explicit um, just a couple of weeks ago when he when he made that just her wildly heretical statement that apostates and blasphemers were within the communion of saints that is the freemasonic notion that that oneness the oneness of the anti-church is is humanism just being a human being puts you into the Freemasonic anti-church. So the oneness mark of, of the Freemasonic anti-church headed by Bergoglio is, is humanism. And then of course, you know that, that the next step from that is, is fraternity, which is the buzzword, the, I mean, just red flag up the pole. We are talking about Freemasonry here. And of course, Freemasonry inevitably leads to Satanism. So um, it is Satanism and it, it eventually leads because human beings, if you're being told that you are basically God, that the divinity is inside of you, well, every human being deep down inside knows that that's a crock. They know that that's not true. As, I mean, some narcissist might walk around and try to pretend like that's true, everybody knows deep down that that's not true and so then then they start thinking well there has to be something outside of that and the the something outside waiting with open arms to receive all of these people who have been sucked into this humanism and quote unquote fraternity is satan himself that that's who you end up worshiping when you fall into this indeed indeed yes the brotherhood above all yep fraternity um that that's where he was um, that's where he was coming from with the with the statement from from a couple weeks ago. Well, sure, yeah. You can't you can't. Uh, no one's outside the brotherhood. Yep. Yep. Jews, Muslims. In fact, they they built a temple over there in the Middle East, didn't they? Uh, to exactly that, a tripart temple of of fraternity. Yep. Right. Right. Well, that also goes to the. I don't know if I'm switching gears here, but the Abu Dhabi document. Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. where he has signed off that God wills the diversity of religions. That is and God's then, will. And then and God bless him, but Bishop Athanasius Schneider go, goes to him, to his face, and calls him on this. And then Bergoglio, being the lying snake that he is, says, well, and in fact, I don't even know if Bergoglio was intelligent enough to say this, or if Bishop Schneider accidentally fed him the out, 
And I, 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 in fact, I think Bishop Schneider did feed him the line. Did Bishop, Bishop Schneider said to him, well, y you just meant God's permissive will, right? Not, not his positive will, his permissive will. And, you know, slack-jawed, mouth-breathing imbecile Bergoglio looked right back at him and said, oh, yes, of course. That, that's what I meant. I meant his permissive will. Oh, please. Oh, please. And oh, please, Bishop, Bishop Schneider, Schneider, shame on you for falling for that. And, and the document... Bishop Schneider. It, it, Go ahead, Dr. I was, I was just going to... Uh, sorry. No, Let, let's let's all get in a big over talking fight right now. Let's just all talk. Let's all talk at exactly the same time. Hey, that's my cue to jump here. Oh, okay. <laughs> now we've got four. Okay. <laughs> all right, Doctor Matza, go. Uh, what was my point? Oh yeah, Bishop <laughs> Bishop Schneider. Uh, <laughs> Bishop Schneider even told him, if I'm remembering it correctly. Uh, now, Holy Father, you you are going to issue a uh, you know a not a retraction but a, a clarification on that. Otherwise, you're going to confuse the whole church. And then I, th I think Francis assured him that he was going to issue a clarification on that. And instead, he doubles down and yeah. puts his original remarks yeah. into the, ap the Acta Apostolica Sedis. Yep, yep, yep. You guys want to explain what that is? <laughs> well, that means that the uncorrected heretical document is now part of the magisterium of the Catholic Church. If well, he's the actu Pope. and actually, no, it isn't. But, right. You know, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, Kim Kim Kardashian wrote a shopping list this morning, um, which could be put in the AAS and have as much force as anything Bergoglio puts in it. So, yeah. And that's at least what Doc the the second or third time that that has happened, obviously with the entire Amoris Laetitia yep. and uh, everything contained, not only in chapter eight, by the way, but um, several other problematic areas like uh, soul annihilation is in there somewhere. But, um, and then the answer That's to That's my the... garage band uh, name. <laughs> <laughs> is it, is it S-O-L-E and your, your, your logo is a fish? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, I lost. I lost. I lost track of my train of thought as well. But uh, oh, I have the, to uh, say, the... I, I, Mark, I chuckled when you said, I, "I." What did you just say a few minutes ago? I don't know if uh, if this is going to be switching gears. I'm like this is the most tangential, <laughs> right? Not non-directional format that there could possibly be. Uh, apologize more for going off on a tangent. <laughs> yes, near nearsightedness. Uh, no, the letter from the. Uh, was it the Argentine bishops? Yes, uh, yes. Re regarding the implementation and the understanding of the footnotes and whatnot from Chapter 8 of Morris Letizia and Yeah, they, they basically said, so the Sixth Commandment is abrogated? Correct. And Bergoglio was like, yes, that is the one and only correct interpretation. There Put is no the other. Yes, there, there is, is no, no other. other. Yep, yep. So that is all official. If Bergoglio is the Pope, that is all now part of the magisterium of the Catholic Church people. <laughs> right, right. Oh, goodness. Mm. Timothy Gordon, Timothy Gordon, come on, man. Do you come think on, somewhere you can do this. He's, he's got a copy of the, six, of the Ten Commandments with the sixth one just like crossed out, vehemently crossed out? 
Well, I think he's got the first one crossed out in, well, in exactly black right. Sharpie with a, with a sad face next to it and, and with horns and everything. <laughs> yeah. So People maybe so we can... Rigid. Maybe Doc, people we are can... so rigid. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Doc, maybe we can uh, switch over to sort of the primary uh, thrust of the at least six of the seven points of Patrick Coffin, which is the Munis versus Ministerium yeah. uh, debate distinction. Yes. Uh, how about it? Well, this came up in my debate with uh, Mr. O'Reilly where he tried to say that I am read, mind reading uh, Benedict here. And so that my, arg, you know, our arguments are just, you know, they, they fall flat on their face on the face of it. So I, I think it's important that we address this. Uh, and I've got some, I've got a brand new piece of information to share with the Ann Barnhard podcast audience. So strap yourselves right in Right on, here. all right. Um, <laughs> so the Holy Father only has the powers that he has because he occupies the office. Okay, that's the teaching of Vatican I, Vatican II, and it's in Canon 331. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, therefore, uh, in order to give up those powers, you have to give up the office, mm -hmm. right? Um, now, canon law refers to it as munis in the original Latin. And munis and ministerium in canon law are not interchangeable. No. Canon law never substitutes ministerium for munis. It's always munis or sometimes officio. officium. Officio. Thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they both mean, well, munis can mean more than just like office in a bureaucratic sense. Okay. And we're mm -hmm. going to get into that. But one of its meanings is, you know, office, office holder. So, um, we know for a fact from Benedict's Declaratio uh, from February 11th, nine years ago, that he said, uh, I renounce the ministerio. He didn't mm -hmm. say, I renounce the munis. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's black and white. It's right there. Nobody can dispute that. That's a stipulated fact. Okay. Um, now, here, here is the deal. What, what, so on the face of it, he did not renounce the office. Now, years ago, 1 Peter 5 writer uh, Ryan Grant this, did this article trying to say, well, you know, Munis and Ministerium, they're just synonyms. Oh, my gosh. All this stuff. And Let's grab the Latin dictionary and look up the list of synonyms. And, you know, canon law, just, just pull out whatever. Whatever comes out of Lewis and Short, whatever you feel like, you know, stylistically, whatever you feel like using that day. Are you kidding me? We've all been lectured how you, you can't possibly understand canon law because you don't have a degree in canon law because all of this language is incredibly precise. And then in the same breath, these people will say, oh, no, just open Lewis and Short and any anything in the list of synonyms, you're good to go in canon law. You've got to be kidding me. Oh. But we, we, we beat that horse pretty good, I think. Right. And then, um, then O'Reilly uh, brought this up. Uh, during the debate, too, he said, you know, it could have been st st for stylistic reasons that he, you know, decided to <laughs> to end oh with, uh, I renounce the ministry. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, the the main point, 
I, we, we, we've all got the giggles here. I know yeah. it's, it's my, my cell phone's about to go off. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> It's it's probably worth mentioning. It's probably worth mentioning that the uh, the distinction of the need to renounce the office was not in the 1917 code. That was inserted, uh, probably mm -hmm. by Ratzinger himself, into yeah. the 1983 code. Yeah, exactly. the The 1917 code simply read, if 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 the uh, if the pontiff were to rena were to resign, were to resign. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't it something the way the divine providence works? Yes, the 1983 code is inferior in toto to the, to the 1917 code. No, nobody seriously debates that. But isn't it interesting that absolutely everything that is, that is completely germane to this absolutely bizarre situation that we're in is specifically addressed in the 83 code of canon law? It's, uh, hmm. Make, make, makes you think. Absolutely. Um, so what we have to understand here is that Munis refer, the, refers, <laughs> I'm losing track of the English language myself here, it refers to the, um, the ontological aspect of, of things, okay? There's like mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. metaphysical aspect to it, mm -hmm. whereas ministry mm -hmm. refers to the, um, the doing of something, yeah. the, the carrying mm -hmm. out of something, right? I mean, think about where, where, do we, where do we hear the word ministry used in the church most often? Like Eucharistic ministers. We don't call them was Eucharistic e offices. E e Eucharistic monster EMHC, right? Uh, oh, no. I, okay, it's minister. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist, actually, which mm -hmm, is a whole mm -hmm. discussion all in and of itself. But um, anyway, the, the, the point of it here is that... Uh, we don't call them Eucharistic offices, no. you know. It's, yeah. it's, it, we, we, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a practical, you know, doing rather than um, uh, the being. And so the, one, the, the, the doing flows from the being, right, exactly. ontologically speaking. So, so that's the point that people are, are kind of failing to understand here. You have to have the ontological being in order for the doing to be part of part of the office in total. And the proof set of this is obviously throughout history. Do we honestly believe we're, we're talking about an office in which already elderly men are elected and then serve for life? Okay, because remember, uh, Pope Benedict is the first even attempted um, uh, attempted resignation in 800 years. So an old man is elected Pope and then serves until he dies. Do any of us standing here actually believe that in all of the 2000 year history of the church with all of these popes who lived and died natural deaths from old age, that at no point did any of those men ever, for example, have dementia at the end, fall into a coma that dragged on for a while at the end, have a stroke and were paralyzed for, you know, however long. Um, and so these men were unable by physical limitation. And also if, if a Pope were imprisoned and there's, there's multiple, um, instances of that, even going back as recent as the, um, as the 19th century, um, that 
if a pope is unable physically to do any of the ministries, the doing things, that in no way, that in absolutely no way takes, takes one iota away from the fact that he has the office. He has the state of being the Pope. So the Pope could, um, you know, ha have a terrible stroke, but hang on and linger for even years. And he is still the Pope. He is the Pope until he dies. By definition, he would have to be the Pope until he dies because he doesn't have the faculty to resign if he's had a stroke, pres presumably, and is, is incapacitated, is mentally incapacitated. You would have to just sit and wait for him to die. That There would be absolutely no alternative because he, he would continue to be the Pope. He would continue to hold the office even though he couldn't do one single ministerial thing and we we've been making this point and that's in one of my one of my videos the first the second both i can't remember but i mean it's, it's just it's so glaringly obvious well, canon 131.1 and we've we've covered this before but it points out that the the power of governance is tied to the it's joined the the word english english word is joined to the office and this is not just the papacy, but but any um, hierarchical office in, in, in the church. So the, the power of governance is joined to the office. And it, it also specifically calls out that if the power is delegated, that has nothing to do with the office. Yeah. Right. Um, it's basically a regency situation if, if, the, if the ordinary power is delegated. Um, it says that... The power is granted to a person, but not by means of an office. Right, exactly. The The doing part doesn't affect the being part, is what canon law is saying, which is seems pretty obvious, but a lot of people are just completely hanging their hats on this. And, and here's the cherry on top, which I don't think people know, is that is that, um, so on the face of it, by only resigning the ministerio, uh, on the face of it, he did not resign the office. So mm -hmm. it's it's the people who think that Francis is pope that have that have to try to read into that and say, well, no, he meant office. Right? Yeah. What well, the very thing that they talk, the very talk thing about mind reading. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. exactly. But yep. you know what? I don't have to. I don't have to read his mind because guess what? I have a quote from Joseph Ratzinger himself where he defines the difference between munis and ministerium. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. O'Reilly said that all of this business of quoting Ratzinger as some sort of <laughs> evidence about what Ratzinger thinks is just ridiculous. So I don't know, Dr. Matza. I mean, don't you, don't you think, don't you think that you're grasping in quoting Joseph Ratzinger? I mean, come on, come on. Uh I'm a, gra I'm a grasper, that's my problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listening to those voices in my head. You know, I just, no. A bitter uh, grasper. A bitter grasper. Yeah. Not a bitter clinger, a bitter grasper, yes. <laughs> so let me, give, let me lay the quote on you guys. It's from 1987 from Principles of Catholic Theology, or Principles of Theology. You know, Principles of Catholic Theology, building stones for a fundamental theology. Okay, so um, what, what uh, uh, future Pope Benedict is saying here is co he's commenting on the ordination 
text, the rite of ordination, that Pius XII uh, changed. And it's from 1947. So we, as we know, right, there are three levels of governance within the Catholic Church. Okay, the lowest level is priests, the next level is bishops, and then of course the highest level is the Holy Father, the Roman Pontiff, right? Um, so at each level, the Holy Spirit has given you authority to, to govern. Now, um, in, the, in the prayer of ordination, uh, this is how Pius XII uh, spoke about the, uh, the, the ordination. Quote, send forth upon him, O Lord, we beseech thee, the Holy Spirit, by whom may he, the ordained, be strengthened to perform faithfully the work of thy service with the help of thy sevenfold gift, unquote. Now, in the Latin, uh, the, thy service, right, the, the service of the Lord is uh, ministerio. Uh, let's see, ministerii, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And the sevenfold gift, guess what word that is? Munire, munis. Mm -hmm. okay. Gift, yeah. And mm -hmm. so the distinction is, is that it's the gift comes from God and it allows you to practically, you uh, do the service. Yes. Okay? Um, yep. And so what, so what, and what is uh, Ratzinger's exact words on, on this subject? He, he commenting on the passage I just read, Ratzinger says, ministerium means service, munis means gift. So there we go. There he you go. He himself made a distinct, okay? End of discussion. That's not relevant to anything. What are you talking about? That's actually really good. That needs to be written up. That needs to be, that <laughs> needs to be out, you know, written, populating on the search engines and so forth. And, you know, it's meaningful that it's, I think you said 1987. So Ratzinger's already at the CDF. It's not some nebulous right. writings from the 50s that he might have changed right. his mind and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Good point. Very good, Dr. Matza. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that we're nine years into this? I'm six years into being into knowing Benedict as Pope. We're all we're all now years into this. And still, still, evidence just keeps coming. The consilience builds every single day that this argument is right. Whereas, you know, the other people are, uh, they, they must be absolutely, you know, um, metaphorically parched because every day for them, it gets worse and worse and worse. So, wow, amazing. Okay, making a note, we have to write that one up. The Ratzinger quote on Munus and Ministeri, got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, the evidence, uh, and this is one of the last points I have here on my sheet, but the, the evidence does keep piling up in in both piles. So mm -hmm. we, we keep saying that the the heresy of Bergoglio is not germane to the to the cause. Right. It's it's a it's a proof set and it's a massive proof set, but it's not what's what's causing the, the root of the issue, which was 
Benedict right. doing whatever it is that he did, and then remaining in the Vatican, clearly, clearly uh, attempting to fulfill some portion of being the Supreme Pontiff. We can't really know what's in his in his mind, but we can read his words and, and see what he executed. But the uh, the Bregolian heresy, that pile keeps it, getting higher It just higher points by the back. Day. Well, I mean, that is every day. It's like, it's like lights. It's like a billboard in Vegas that's an arrow pointing. And every day, another light bulb gets added to this huge, gigantic Las Vegas billboard that's pointing backwards to... What happened in February of 2013? Because the, the, the Bergolian situation, there's clearly something wrong. Okay, did anything odd happen in February of 2013? That's what the Bergolian heresy is about. It's, it's We don't need to talk about um, what happened at the... Uh, cardinalatial get-together in the Sistine Chapel in March of 2013. That, that is not germane. It, you, you don't need to pursue that because if you pursue that and you say, well, there were shenanigans and there were, um, you know, they were, they were colluding and they were, they were breaking the rules in um, UDG and all this, um, you're barking up the wrong tree because if you say, okay, uh, Bergoglio is invalid because of that, where does that leave you? That leaves you with the mistaken belief that the sea is vacant, which it is not. Pope Benedict occupies the sea. And if you mistakenly believe that the sea is vacant because you think that what happened in March of 2013 at the fake conclave has anything to do with anything, um, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up electing another anti-pope. And that one's going to be 25 years younger and is going to have about 25 IQ points on Bergoglio. And it, this it's no damn good. You have to start from the truth all the way down, all the way down to the very, very, very root of this, the true base premise, Pope Benedict never validly resigned. And just, just stop talking about this other stuff because it's just it's just distracting people people are just going off on these tangents we got to get people on and realizing that that benedict is the pope and he needs to be prayed for he needs to be commemorated at the teigeter oh that's another thing um somebody emailed me and said please remind people that um as more and more people are, are hearing these ideas as Coffin and other people and Timothy Gordon are talking about them and other people are coming to this, they're going to start thinking that the fact that Franciscum is commemorated at the Teigeter, it would be Francisco at the Teigeter, that, uh, that Francis is commemorated at the Teigeter, that that somehow invalidates the Mass. It does not invalidate the Mass. That is wrong. That is a thousand percent wrong is the mass illicit of course it is of course it is even the most beautiful perfect liturgically exquisite um tlm mass it, it is illicit if francis is commemorated mistakenly erroneously at the teigeter 
but the mass is valid for the love of all that is right and good for the love of holy mother church do not fall for the lie that the mistaken te igitur commemoration invalidates the mass it does not the mass is valid our lord comes down he is he doesn't like it he doesn't like it that an anti-pope is commemorated but he loves us so much of course he's there of course i made a sacramental communion this morning a few hours ago and guess who yeah that's right bergoglio was mistakenly commemorated at the teigeter and every single time i go to mass i beg our lord these priests, they don't realize, they don't, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Give it to me. If they're due any temporal punishment in purgatory, give it to me. I can take it. I understand what's going on. Just, just please let's move forward and get this resolved. And lo and behold, I've been praying that every day for years and years and years and years now. And look, as Mark opened the show with, the Overton window is shifting and things are starting to happen. So. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, that's something, um, talking about not being germane, it's a proof set, but it's not a, a root cause. Patrick Coffin did a really good job yesterday on Tim Gordon's show of really batting down all the distractions that Gordon was trying to throw at him in terms of, well, you know, this and this about the conclave, and what about the heresy that came after the conclave, and could he have, if he lost his office along the way, where did it happen? And mm, Nope. And... Patrick just kept kept going back at him and saying, none of this matters. That's right. None of this matters. Now, the shenanigans at the fake conclave is the seventh point that Coffin has after he goes through the six points about uh, Pope Benedict. But he's, he's obviously presenting it as sort of a bookend to say that, well, even if everything that we've discovered and we can see is true about what Pope Benedict did is somehow not reality, we still have this situation when the conclave was called where all these all these men are excommunicated. Yeah. So either way, Francis isn't Pope, but uh, you know, let's get back to the to, to all the reasons why Benedict still is. Yeah, exactly. I wish I personally, I wish that Patrick Coffin would have left that off because it just it opens a can of worms. Um, and I, th- and I think you can explain, you can really clearly explain it. I kind of wish you would have left that off, but you know what? It's okay. There's good, there's good fruits coming from this. So, um, it's, it's been a really good couple of weeks. It's been an, an exciting and positive couple of weeks. And I, and I hope that the momentum is maintained now. Is there, has anybody, I mean, I certainly haven't. And at this point, I don't think I would, even if someone invited me to do some sort of a thing, because I'm I'm so toxic. Um, but you guys, have either one of you guys had any inklings or invitations of anybody to do anything that you well, can I know discuss? Well, Dr. Matza Dr. has an upcoming date booked, correct? Ah, that's, oh, that's right. You have a thing. When, what, when is that? I have a thing. Yes. Uh, write it down. Uh, the ninth anniversary of um, the last day of uh, Benedict being practically speaking on the job, right, Mm -hmm. February 28th, Mm -hmm. um, I will be on with Tim Flanders from uh, the- Flanders, not Gordon. Gordon. Right, Right. different person. Flanders, different person, person. Uh, like, you know, St. James the Greater and St. James the Less, Uh, right? mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 No offense to anybody, I was just uh, making an analogy. Um, uh, on on his you know YouTube show, 
uh, Meaning of Catholic. And we are finally, because I've been on his show many times, he's a wonderful man, um, but he's finally going to allow me to speak <laughs> publicly and openly uh, the case that Benedict is still the Pope. Ah, oh, very good. Okay. Wonderful. So that's and Overton Window. Forward to that. That's yeah. Overton Window material as well, and that means it's at least uh, there's at least a possibility that it will make it onto one Peter five, which which has been obviously verboten even under. I don't know. Is Salmon's running that now, or yeah. is Flanders running that? It's it's kind of a joint thing, and that's why I don't want to over promise the folks. You know, basically one. You know, even though Skojic is gone, 1 Peter 5 still has an editorial stance that uh, they're not going to print anything that says that uh, Benedict is the Pope. Um, it's basically the same thing for Catholic Family News, for Crisis. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to break through with some of these outlets. But um, so and I'm let's, doing this let's just strictly... say let's just say what it is. It's all tied to money. I mean, they're all terrified that if they say something like that, that they will be 100 percent financially cut off from the, the institutional church and even the, the first layer underneath the institutional church that you you couldn't have anything that you're and they're also afraid that their donor base would would dry up because, you know, most Novus Orduis and um, let's call them soft trads or what there's a lot of right now because of the Corona scam, because the Novus Orduis all ch closed their churches. And so the, the TLM parishes that stayed open, they got a huge influx of people. So they've got what we call in the cattle business, you know, greenhorns. They've got a lot of newbies now. And they're terrified that if they talk about this, that they're going to absolutely lose all of that, um, which, you know, our Lord explains all that, that you need to be detached from lucre, wealth, you know, all of that. That's, that's the, that's the, what is it? The third joyful mystery, the, the birth of our Lord, the spirit of the fruit of the mystery of, uh, the spirit, the fruit of the mystery is um, the spirit of poverty, which means basically detachment, detachment, detachment from wealth. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, but I'm, like I said, so it's going to be on Timothy Flanders's YouTube channel, uh, Meaning of Catholic, uh, Monday, February 28th. I'm going to lay out the case, uh, you know, the Maza Hypothesis 3.0. <laughs> nice. Fantastic. All right. And regarding the 3.0, that's another thing that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the other side will will poke at. Well, you don't even know what your thesis is. You keep changing it, and you know uh, that that you've that been goes, reading Mr. O'Reilly. That that goes to credibility. <laughs> how can you how can you keep doing that? And I mean, I'll let you answer, but it's it's you you find new things. It's not yeah. you're searching for the truth here. It's not. It, it's okay to say, well, now I found something that might make a little bit more sense than what I thought before. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Go ahead, Doc. Yeah, no. Um, so, yeah, Mr. O'Reilly has two new uh, pieces today on his uh, website. And yet, as Ann said before, he was a gentleman. He, he gave me a heads up about it. Um, but, yeah, that's one of his things where, you know, you're always shifting your, your, your thoughts on this. So how can anybody follow you? Well, so let me break it down and make, it, make this third grade easy here. We, know, we all know what happened. It is indisputable that... In his declaratio, Benedict said, I renounce the ministry of Bishop of Rome. He didn't say, I renounce the munis of Bishop of Rome. That's undisputable. That's right mm -hmm. there, black and white, okay? So we know what happened. 
but there's different ideas among us, right, about the why of it, mm -hmm. okay? And, and the original, you know, Maza hypothesis that, that got me on Dr. Marshall's show was that I, after reading Ganswine, who's gushing all over the place about this fantastic thing that Benedict did, which is, you know, basically like the Immaculate Conception, essentially. Well, uh, yeah. Essentially. I, I, I mean, anytime, anytime anybody resigns from a job, it's basically analogous, analogous to the Immaculate Conception, yeah. You betcha. No, it's just like every other resignation that's ever occurred, except it is so completely unique and special that it's like the Immaculate Conception. This business of, and the thing that, that Ganswine says that sent us all over the edge and heads exploding and everything, is he explicitly says that Pope Benedict fundamentally transformed the papacy into a collegial, synodal, shared office. That is a quote, my friends. Collegial, synodal, shared office consisting of an active and a contemplative member. And again, I, I, strong, I strongly suspect that most of these people have actually, out of fear and pride, never sat down and, and read the Ganswine speech. I've showed it to numerous people, and every single one of them who came into the conversation swearing up and down that they knew exactly what my data was and exactly what my arguments were and that they were fully informed and they knew that I was wrong. I showed them the Ganswine speech and they were literally sitting there gasping with their jaws hanging agape because they'd never read it. It's true. Yeah, and, and you posted when he doubled down on it in, in yeah. his interview with Paul Bada. Okay, a so week a later, because every I mean, that. oh yeah, everybody's everybody's mind is blown because Ed Penton posted the speech with a headline that says Ganswine declares that I can't even remember what Ed's headline is. I have to look it up, and we'll put it in the show notes. Ed's headline says that Ganswine declares that Pope Benedict never resigned, and I mean you're, you're like what what? And so there there was a huge fallout um, after the May twentieth speech, and after it hit the press, and Ed Penton posted it, and Paul Batty goes and interviews interviews Ganswine and says, now, I just want to make sure that I'm understanding you correctly and I'm not putting words in your mouth or anything. You're saying that there are now two popes. And Ganswine says, yep, that's exactly what I said, indeed. And you're like, okay, okay. Well, and I'm the crazy one? I'm the crazy person. Okay, all right, that's fine, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, no, no, it, 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 it's surprising how many intelligent people have a misunderstanding about, you know, what we're talking about. Like I spoke to one, you know, very well-spoken, intelligent person, and he thought that we are somehow propagating a bifurcated papacy, yeah. which only those yeah. those in the know, the us Gnostics, can figure out. And I was like, no, no, don't you understand? That's what we're protesting against. Against. That's yeah. what against. Benedict yeah. uh, came up with, yeah. which is, you know, invalidating. Um, but anyway, that's so, what but the, the Miller, me, the Miller dissertation, I have to put in a plug to the Miller dissertation because we don't talk about that very much anymore. The, I mean, the Miller dissertation goes on at length about whether or not the papacy is immutable. That is whether or not it can be changed because that's 
all the German Academy was talking about during the 20th century. They, they wanted to change it. They wanted to fundamentally transform it. Is it immutable? And some of them, some of them were talking about, like Hans Kung, wanted to completely abolish it. And they're having these huge debates about whether or not the papacy can be abolished. Well, then they decide, well, we probably can't abolish it. Okay, but is it mutable? Can we change it? And that debate just never stopped, basically. And that's Walter Casper's entire agenda. We have to we have to radically transform the papacy. We have to completely defang it. We have to drain it of all, um, what do they call it? Demythologize it. That means completely eliminate that it is and that it is a divinely instituted absolute monarchy with supernatural negative protection, which is exactly the definition of what the papacy is. But the entire German project and the St. Gallen Mafia and all of that and Freemasonry, this is the founding purpose of Freemasonry is to destroy the Roman Catholic Church, the, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. How? By destroying the papacy. And how do you destroy the papacy? By deconstructing it from the inside out. I mean, it's. Salve et coagula. Yes, yes, right. yes. <laughs> mm hmm. So, um, so what was I going to say? So, um, just because we uh, kind of delved into the different you know, what could have been going on here, and is it possible to cleave the office from Bishop of Rome, and is it indeed, is it is it possible to enlarge the Petrine office? Can there be more than one member? Or, uh, no, it's divinely instituted, and, and even a pope can't change what's been divinely instituted. It's okay that we talked about those things. That's yeah, not, and actually, and and it is. I think most people at this point, and I know some rather influential people who are slowly coming on board here, who think that the question, and this is all Dr. Matzah's, this is all Matzah hypothesis, can the the Petrine Sea be detached from the city of Rome and the episcopate of the city of the episcopate of the city of Rome? And people are realizing that, oh, in an intense emergency situation, ah, maybe it could be. And the proof set that everybody tends to cite, and again, Dr. Matza was all over this, is, and talking about, <laughs> we're recording it on the very feast, Peter was um, the Bishop of Antioch before he got to Rome. And he was the Pope. He was the Pope when he was the Bishop of Antioch. So the notion that the um, the vicariate of Christ is ontologically um, and and permanently and intrinsically grafted to the city of Rome, this this is something that can be robustly debated, and believe me, is being ro robustly debated by more and more people. And that's, is that matzah 1.0 or is that matzah 2.0? Because we, one of them was we did the, we did the podcast episode about, you know, leave, leave the papacy, take the cannoli, you know, so, or, or leave, leave the, leave the episcopate, leave the bishopric, take, take the cannoli. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's, what's the, this, this year is the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, so uh, I'm, ah, I'm very happy about that and all, there all these you go. Godfather references, you know. Uh, but yes, uh, that was Maza Hypothesis 1.0, that okay. uh, in fact, okay. the minority view of theologians is that in a critical situation, the Pope could separate the Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome. Mm -hmm. And by the way, as far as I can figure out, that is the only you know, legal, you know, allowable bifurcation that the Pope could do, and only because the the first uh, putting together, the, the first melding of uh, Vicar of Christ with Bishop of Rome was, was something that was church done rather yeah. than God done. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, yep. And so if it's church done, the church could undo it again. And really that's, so this leads me to Maza Hypothesis 2.0, which is what I've discovered, you know, back in the day, was that um, the only licit or metaphysical way you can be um, Pope Emeritus, right? Amaretto, Pope Amaretto, <laughs> pronounce it correctly. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, um, so uh, if the only way you could be uh, that is if you uh, separate Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome. Because if you don't, if you try, like, and I said this in the debate with O'Reilly, you know, uh, after Vatican II, right, they came up with this Bishop Emeritus thing because the Bishop Emeritus is somebody who, you know, having reached retirement age, um, is no longer um, practically running the diocese, but he's still bishop. So a Pope Emeritus is someone who has renounced the active ministry, uh, but is still Pope in, 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 a, in a platonic uh, idyllic sense, right? In the ontological sense of the word. Um, and the, you can't have that no. because no. You, the, if, you know, let, let's do the opposing viewpoint. If, if the majority of the theologians are right and you can't separate um, Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome, okay, let's do a little thought experiment here. If they're not separable, then you make yourself uh, Bishop of Rome emeritus, you consequently also make yourself Vicar of Christ Emeritus. emeritus. Yeah, uh, no. And, <laughs> that do that and dog won't hunt, no. <laughs> no, no. If you think Bishop of Rome Emeritus is, is a it's troubling bad. concept, Vicar, yeah. of, Vicar of Christ Emeritus, you got to be kidding me, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. So, um, anyway, so, and then, of course, my, my current thing here is uh, Maza Hypothesis 3.0, but that. Wait, what's but, two? You know, what's, so, what's two? Well, well, two is this idea that, that, that you, you can't actually be a, a Pope Emeritus unless you are the actual Vicar of Christ. In other words, if, you have, if, he, if, he, if he did ontologically separate Bishop of Rome from uh, Vicar of Christ, you can call yourself, I mean, you are the Vicar of Christ, but you can call yourself the Pope Emeritus if you want. Because the word Pope just means like Papa, and it's, it's a term that's usually applied to bishops, I mean, especially in the first thousand years of Christianity. Yeah. So yeah. under that scenario, um, you know, Francis can be Bishop of Rome. He can call himself whatever he wants, Pope Francis, whatever. And he's, le he's legit Bishop of Rome. He can make cardinals because cardinals are exclusive to the Diocese of Rome. I don't, yes, you know, certain Catholics yeah. don't know that. Yeah. Um, and, and, he, and furthermore, um, if this is what Benedict did, 
he can even say, you know, there's going to be a successor. My successor can take the throne. The, the chair is going to be empty because the chair is the bishop's chair. It's, mm -hmm. it's the, the, the bishop of Rome, you see? So there's, because O'Reilly tried to, well, anyway, I won't get into more about him, but the, the, the point of it is, is that if, if Benedict really did separate Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome, then, um, you know, Francis can call himself Francis, he can make cardinals, he can dress in white if he wants, because that's traditionally what the Bishop of Rome does, and um, he can really be that bishop dressed in white, so to speak. Uh, he can make cardinals, but he's not the Vicar of Christ. Oh, and can um, I can I the, jump in here and point out that it says in prophecies, scriptures, and everything that Rome, Rome by name, will become the seat of the Antichrist. Okay, so if we're talking about all this, all this bifurcation and all this, and splitting off specific, not bifurcation in the sense of of severing the vicariate of Christ from the city of Rome, if you look at that in the light of end times prophecy, it actually makes perfect sense. Because if the city of Rome becomes the sea of the Antichrist, doesn't that by definition mean that it's not the sea of the vicar of Christ? I mean, just something, just something to chew on, just something to spitball on, um, that, that it, it would make um end time sense for something like that to happen it, it wouldn't be surprising let's put it that way let's put it that way yeah i think it was a private revelation uh, i think it's is it louisa picaretta um uh, from the 19th century uh something about that at the during the end times uh that the jerusalem is going to become where I guess it originally was, right? When when Peter was walking around Jerusalem, sure, he was the vicar of sure. Christ. Uh, and then, of course, James became the, the bishop of, of Jerusalem. But mm -hmm. th there is, again, it's it's stri strictly, you know, private revelation here. But as you say, th so there are some grounds for, you know, hypothesizing in this in this direction. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if, if Pope Benedict somehow, some way, ends up in Portugal. I mean, everybody's everybody's mind is going to be blown because isn't that, that's Fatima, isn't it? That the faith will always be maintained mm. in Portugal. I mean, can you imagine if like, if, if, if this situation with Russia and Ukraine, if the, if the US is successful in starting this BS wag the dog war between Russia and Ukraine, and that spill starts to spill over into Europe and they evacuate Pope Benedict out of there and he ends up like, like in Fatima or something, he ends up in Portugal. <laughs> I mean, it would, it would, and there would be people saying, "Well, we don't be silly. That doesn't mean anything." I mean, it would, it would be more, more denial. But it would be uh, there would be a lot of us who would just be, oh, better. Well, I haven't been to confession, and let's see, forty-eight hours. <laughs> better, better go back to confession and stay frosty on this situation. Okay, so that's two. What's what's Matza three? Matzah three. I, I I don't know how much time we have to get into it because it's it's slightly. Anyway, I'll 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 just try to explain it as clearly as 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 I the Holy Spirit will allow me to do here. So, oh, don't blame him. Don't blame uh, him. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, um, you know, uh, you know, for for about eight hundred years, right? The 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 church, the majority of theologians taught that. The sacrament of ordination was essentially limited 
to the priesthood. Uh, and that becoming a bishop is just like having an extra layer of jurisdiction, but it doesn't add anything to the sacrament. But Vatican II, in because uh, it's Lumen Gentium 21 or Lumen Gentium 22, uh, says that um, the the you know the sacrament of episcopal that episcopal consecration is actually a sacrament. It's an extension of the sacrament of ordination. Well, they are, they are anointed. Is, they, it's indelible, and they're anointed, and they appear before Christ as bishops as opposed to mere priests. Isn't isn't that's exactly. the perennial teaching of the church, right? Well, like I said, it, 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 this is what O'Reilly, I think, Mark, you brought this up, right? That O'Reilly in his latest piece is, uh, that's one of the things that O'Reilly brings up is, is that I, I'm not so clear on how bishops are made. Is that, Mark, can you confirm what, what O'Reilly said on that? He said something along the lines of the, the, the mechanism of, and I don't know if we're talking about form and matter here or not, but the mechanism of uh, Episcopal consecration is murky. Yeah, let, let me try to un unpack what I was, what I meant. I think he was quoting me from a Patrick, the first Patrick Coffin interview back in September when he interviewed me. Um, let, me let me quote from an article from, I think it's from 1962. It's by Seamus Ryan, Episcopal Consecration, the Legacy of the, of the Schoolmen. And this is what he says. He says, quote, when one reads today the solemn declaration of Vatican II, quote, this sacred council teaches that by Episcopal consecration, the fullness of the sacrament of order is conferred, unquote. It must not be forgotten that for about eight centuries, the contrary opinion was held by the great majority of theologians and canonists. It was possible, for instance, for a theologian writing 100 years after the Council of Trent to name and cite no less than 80 authors, among others, Peter Lombard, Albert the Great, Thomas Aquinas, Bonaventure, who maintain that the episcopate was neither a sacrament nor an order, unquote. Mm. Mm. So Vatican II actually did something quite radical. And, and at least contrary to the majority of the theologians, now, what was the, what's the practical and theological effect of this? Is that you know, Rahner and Ratzinger and Kangyar and all these Nouvelle theologian people at the council and after the council pointing to, I think it's Lumen Gentium 22, um, had the authority of Vatican II to say that bishops, in, when they receive this extension of the sacrament of ordination, when they get consecrated episcopally, they receive the munis to govern, to teach, and to give people the sacraments, okay? And according to Ratzinger, let me read to you from, from his 1966 work, uh, highlights, theological highlights of Vatican II. He says that membership in the College of Bishops is attained through sacramental ordination. Collegiality is not based on a papally conferred jurisdiction paralleling the sacrament of ordination. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, Pius XII, as late as 1954, reiterated the traditional church teaching that in addition to the sacrament of ordination, 
you have to receive a grant of jurisdiction from the Pope in order to govern. Yeah. You, am, I, am I talking in left field here? You, no, because, I mean, think, like, think about it. There's a distinction between metropolitan bishops and, like, if you've ever been to Rome, the Curia is crawling with bishops. Every other, every other guy that works in, in the Curia is a bishop, but he's never been a parish priest. He's never going to have, he, most of them never ever have any metropolitan assignment. They're given what's called, um, oh, I can't even remember what they're called. Where's Father Z when you need them? They're given these like minuscule, minuscule, um, uh, titular parishes. Titular, t thank you, super nerd, saving the day. These titular parishes. For example, I was born in Leavenworth, Kansas. If I'm not mistaken, Leavenworth, Kansas is a titular. I don't know if it has a bishop assigned to it right now, but it has in the past. And that that bishop has nothing to do with the governance of you know, the Catholic Church in Leavenworth, Kansas. That's all under the Diocese of Kansas City, Kansas. Um, but there, there has been and there might be now a bishop sitting in the Curia somewhere who is the titular of, of believe it or not, Leavenworth, Kansas. I mean, there, there are just thousands of these all over the world. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a bishop only gets to like, you know, govern a, a bishopric when the Pope tells him so and makes him a metropolitan. Exactly. So Ratzinger in 1966 and in other places tries to say that, um, you know, the thought, and he actually comes out and says, we, we don't have to listen to Aquinas or Bonaventure on this topic anymore. <laughs> he says that Vatican <laughs> II has... I'll find you the exact, if I, I wish I could find the exact quote here, but he, that's what he basically says. Um, wow. uh, so, you know, that's a red light, right? Uh, <laughs> red flag. Uh, uh, <laughs> red flag. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, so... Uh, and what does he come up with then? And, and he's not the only one. Like I tried to, I didn't have really have time to explain this in my you know, debate with O'Reilly on, on Gordon's show, but there's a whole, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of, of you know, bishops and priests and theologians, and there's a whole school of ecclesiology, right? AKA the Miller dissertation, right? That mm -hmm. comes out of this and says, and says things like, well, the bishop, he, um, he can never lose his power to govern because it's not a separate grant that's given to you by the Holy Father, which again, Pius Twelfth and o Cardinal Ottaviani. Cardinal Ottaviani went so far as to say that this is actually theologically certain that the bishops get their, you know, jurisdiction to, 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 uh, to teach and to, to govern from the Holy Father. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Ratzinger and these other people say that they, that they don't. I mean, well, it, it's a little nuanced, but anyway, so what does all this mean? Uh, it means that, well, we have a little problem here, and that is, is that traditionally the church understands the Roman pontiff not as something which you get by virtue of a sacrament, but something that you get, that God gives the uh, occupant, right, uh, by a grant of jurisdiction, so that if you were to resign the office, you would lose the jurisdiction, and go back to being just you know Cardinal Ratzinger again, right? Mm -hmm, right. Um, but it, but if but if you've got the the, the theological uh, ecclesiology 
of Ratzinger and Kangyar and Rahner uh. and all these guys where jurisdiction is never separated from the sacrament, okay? That's um, how you get then, to this error, yeah. That's how you get to this error that you can keep the moonus because you could never lose the moonus. Uh -huh. You can only give up the practical exercise. Uh, in yeah. fact, let me give you a quick quote here. Uh, Ratzinger is speaking about Vatican II, you know, the, the passage I read about Lumen Gentium 22. This is what he said in 1966. This passage breaches the wall that separated the Middle Ages from the early church. Uh, we, see, uh, we see the reason why future references to Peter Lombard, Albert the Great, Bonaventure, and Thomas Aquinas will no longer be meaningful on this issue. Uh, and, 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 he goes on to <laughs> and he goes on to say here that, the, uh, again, the, the, the bishop's ability to, to govern his, his uh, it, it's given to him through the sacrament and it's not given to him as a grant of jurisdiction. And anyway, so the long story short of the, uh, is that this is the why, mm -hmm. you know, this is the Maza hypothesis 3.0, the mm -hmm. why of mm -hmm. why he chose ministerium to renounce and not Munis. And this sense? is perfect. It's perfect. And I'm glad that we're wrapping up on this, talking about um, Pope Benedict Ratzinger's um, apparently erroneous state of mind because Dr. Matza, you have done a wonderful service to all of us by answering the question in a beautiful metaphor as to um, people saying, well, all, all we need to do is go ask uh, Pope Benedict Ratzinger what he believes. And that, that, will, that will answer every question. And Dr. Matza, your metaphor of this to a person or persons, what in this case a person, who is living in an invalid marriage, but they either don't realize it or don't acknowledge it and swear up and down that they're married, that they're validly married, that, that is absolutely perfect and it's so useful because you know what? Everybody listening to this podcast probably knows somebody who's in exactly that situation because divorce and remarriage, civil divorce and, and fake remarriage is so common today pretty much everyone knows somebody who would if you, if you stood in front of them they would swear up and down and they would fight you to their dying breath promising you that they are married when in fact they are not because they're still married to their original spouse or you know the person that they're married to is still married to their original spouse or whatever it doesn't so you can ask pope benedict all you want if if the entire thesis that we've started with with this from the beginning canon 188 and substantial air if that is in fact what this what this thing is is pivoting on which i believe it is it doesn't matter you could it doesn't you know, go go ask him go ask him what he believes but it's neither here nor there with regards to answering the truth of the question did he he validly resign in February of 2013. And that is either yes or no. And nothing that Pope Benedict Ratzinger says today has any bearing on that one way or the other. All that matters is the ontological binary yes, no reality of whether or not he validly resigned in February of 13. And we're obviously all on the same page and more and more and more people every day are real are realizing that the answer to that question is no he did not validly resign and your marriage metaphor is just perfect on that
wonderful. Well, you know, Anne, substantial error comes up mostly in marriage cases. Ah, so that's where yes, I, I can't take credit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It, can, I mean, you don't have any, I don't think, uh, you don't have any personal experience with any of that, but can you can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think, again, the fact that so many people can relate to this, I think it's a good thing to to expand on it a bit. Sure, sure thing. So, so here's the deal. Um, if if you're going to do something like resign the papacy, it means that your intellect is going to know something and your will is going to choose something. Okay, Let, let's look at the basic metaphysics of this, right? Mm -hmm. And we've already said at the, at the top of the show, in order to resign the papacy, you have to resign the office of the papacy because all his power as Pope comes from his having the office, okay? The munis, yeah. as it were. Um, and so he has to choose, his will has to choose an object. And what is the object that his mind is, his intellect is presenting to him? The object that his intellect is presenting to him is the office or the munis. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, my analogy is that he has a, a defective uh, understanding of that object, of the office. The way, and this is the example I like to use because I'm into a little bit into Marvel uh, comics. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a man saying, um, I will, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I grew up in Queens. Um, it's yeah. like a man saying, uh, I will only marry a Russian Imperial Romanov who then marries Natasha Romanova from Marvel Comics Avengers, um, he's committed substantial error because she's not actually a daughter or granddaughter of the last czar, Nicholas II, Romanov. It's the same thing with Benedict. Benedict, in effect, by saying, I renounce the ministry and not the munis, and, and given all the explanation I just gave you from Vatican II and mm -hmm. these, these Nouvelle theologians, he's basically, he basically stipulated, and this is Maza Hypothesis 3.0, I will only resign the administration, the active exercise of, of, the, of the munis of the church, the ministry of the church, if I can still be recognized as Pope in the sacramental ontological munis, which right. can never be lost because I got it by being a bishop in Episcopal consecration, um, but if that is actually metaphysically impossible, uh, then he committed substantial error. Right. And according to Canon 188 and natural law, this makes his renunciation um, invalid. Mm -hmm. Just like just like anyone that we know who went, got married, thought they were getting married, and then lo and behold, come to find out, oh no, 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 no. You, you were, this was all completely invalid, and, but they, they go through their entire lives and vehemently swear up and down that they're married. And we're sorry, but you just, you just aren't. And Pope Benedict's feelings about this, believe it or not, believe it or not, his feelings about this are not germane. What matters is the ontological reality and canon law, and you say, well, he's the absolute monarch, he can do absolutely whatever he wants, whatever he wants. Um, no, because that would mean that there would be abject chaos. If, if, if a pope could do anything he wanted and is there, 
he can he can just overturn canon law, not tell anybody he's overturning canon law, overturn divine law. I mean, this if you just stop and think about this for literally 30 seconds, you realize this is completely morally impossible. And our Lord does not and would not ever permit anything like this to happen. Yes, he, he is bound to forms and canon law and so on and so forth. And this also, we don't even need to talk about this because this is another horse that's been beaten to death, but this also speaks directly to the, the silly um, universal peaceful acceptance thing that, that a pope can do something that is completely, totally illegal and, oh, as long as everyone goes along with it, it's fine. Again, this is a function of not having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you honestly believe that truth himself would say, okay, well, I'll just go along with criminality and error as long as every as long as these this bunch of these bunch of morons over here all say it's okay i mean come on talk about the heresy of conciliarism goodness gracious and, and that did did we ever talk about this because I, I i came up with a silver bullet for the people that talked about universal peaceful acceptance did we ever oh i've not heard i've not heard the silver bullet no go ahead <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, for a professor, this is a hard thing to do, but I will try and make my remarks brief here and uh, sum up a long story. Um, all right, so here's the deal. Peter Kwasniewski has this new book, Are Canonizations Infallible? In that book... Oh, uh, yeah, I, I see where this is going. I see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's Chris Ferrara. Mentions an interview with Vatican Insider that a Bishop Siaka did. Who's Bishop Siaka? He's the he's the he's the signatora of the apostolic. Um, he's the he's the secretary of the apostolic signatora. Basically, the the Supreme Court or the highest court of the Church. Okay, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. this Vatican Insider reporter says to him, um, you know, in 1998, uh, the CDF under Cardinal Ratzinger came out with a document talking about the uh, oath of fidelity that John Paul came out with in 1989, uh, which says that you know, Catholics have to follow uh, all the dogmatic teachings of the church, but, uh, but also those teachings of the church, which are not found in scripture explicitly, but which the church teaches anyway, uh, as authoritative, and, and also certain dogmatic facts that are theologically certain. And in that, so basically in that CDF document from 1998, Ratzinger, as the head of the CDF, includes as, as examples of certain things that Catholics have to accept as infallible, even though they're not directly in Scripture. Uh, he gives several examples, and one of the examples that he gives is the infallibility of papal canonizations and mm -hmm. the uh, lawful acceptance, you know, i.e. peaceful universal acceptance of, pa of papal elections. Um, and so what Here's the thing, the Bishop Shiaka says that when Ratzinger gave those examples, he wasn't trying to say, that, um, he wasn't tr issuing a magisterial statement that from now on the church recognizes that uh, canonizations are infallible and all Catholics must believe that under pain of mortal sin. He wasn't defining that. He was merely saying, well, the majority of theologians think that this falls under that Heading. In other words, all Catholics do have to follow whatever the Church teaches as theologically certain. That's not that's not up for debate. But most theologians think that the canonization, the infallibility of canonizations, should be included under that heading. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In other words, Bishop Shiaka is is saying that they did not come out and make a, a definitive pronouncement that from now on, 
canonizations are infallible and you're a heretic and a schismatic if you don't believe it. That, that's right. not what, what the CDF was trying to do in that document. But, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander here, guys. He mm -hmm. also, as an, as an illustrative example, said the peace, you know, universal peaceful acceptance of, of, a, of a papal election. Um, so that, that, that also would mean that the church only gave that as an example of what the majority of theologians have, have consistently taught, but it's not ending the discussion. You can still, I mean, that's the whole point of Kwasniewski's book, is that you can still argue, it's a minority view, uh, but as the, the example I just pointed out before, for 800 years, the church taught, that the majority of theologians taught, that Episcopal consecration did not add anything to your original priestly ordination. And that changed mm -hmm. in the 20th century. So, or another example Kwasniewski gives is that if you were living in the, in the, uh, you know, the 13th century, let's say, um, and you didn't believe in the Immaculate Conception, well, you'd be in the company of the, of the vast majority of theologians, right? Uh, so sometimes the, the majority is not always right. So long story short, here's the silver bullet to Salza and Cisco and all these people that try to say that we can't even have a discussion about who's Pope because Francis has been universally peacefully accepted. The, one of the answers to that is to say that the majority of theologians think that that's a theologically certain thing, but that doesn't make it, the, the church has not definitively pronounced on that yet. You're, you're not kicked out of the church if you think that uh, canonizations are not infallible or that universal peaceful acceptance is not infallible. And who do I have that on the authority of? I've got the th that on the authority of the head of the Supreme Court of the Catholic Church, Bishop Shiaka. Right, and the, the, the kicker in all of this and why, it's, it's why this argument revolves around Peter Kwasniewski is because he's been extremely vociferous in just openly laughing the notion of the canonization of Paul VI, and rightfully so. So in a sense, Peter is trying to have his cake and eat it too by saying, well, it's obviously laughable nonsense. Of course, Paul VI is, is not is not a saint. I mean, we should we should pray for his soul. That's the tragedy of all this is that who's who's praying for Paul the sixth? And boy, he needs it. If he made it to purgatory, he needs it. Um, but at the in the same breath, literally with a citation in the same document, they're trying to say, well, if everyone goes along, uh, the, if the universal peaceful acceptance argument, well, then you've got to accept Bergoglio as pope. I mean, the the, the internal contradiction within this argument is is kind of sad. So yeah, if, if if you if you're gonna go along. If you're going to go along with the silly universal peaceful acceptance that as long as the as long as the wildly corrupt uh, College of Cardinals, as long as they go along with something, even if it's wildly, wildly, obviously illegal, even though every definition of universal peaceful acceptance specifically says as an antecedent in the definition that the election of a pope must be legal, it must be canonically valid then if everyone goes along with it okay um but if you're if you're gonna make the salsa and cisco argument then you better get on your knees and start praying to pope saint paul the sixth montini because you you've painted yourself in the corner where you have to take that too so you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander as you said dr Matza. so yeah all right we're at two hours Mark, <laughs> you know, it's just I'm just pondering here the last few minutes how um, how often go back throughout history, go back to 
Arius, how often does the vast majority opinion turn out to be wrong? Exactly. Yep. So uh, I'll end on that on that confirming note. Okay, so wrap up. Yes, sir. Oh, can I do what, one one? Oh, one of course, Doctor Matsa, you have to plug your your class. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes. So uh, in just a few days, uh, Maz is back, baby. Uh, <laughs> church history uh, for Mardi Gras. M- M- Mardi Gras with Matza. Uh, oh boy! first. Careful, <laughs> careful, folks. <laughs> well, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it pronounced matzah gras? In a, in a, cri- Ma- in a Christian way. Matzah gras. <laughs> gras. No. There will no. be amaratuses for everybody. We'll have amaratuses. Um. I'd, like I'd like an amaratus sour, please. That's my preferred drink. So. Uh, and then, uh, so we'll have... Uh, We'll have uh, church history starting on Tuesday the 1st, and then uh, world history starting on Wednesday the the 2nd, uh, Ash Wednesday. Um, And, you know, being in a Maza class is a very penitential thing. So it's it's the thing to do for Lent is to to take the the Maza church history and world history, because, baby, we're going through Armageddon. We're going from 1966 to 2016. This is your life. Wow. Not nothing nothing happened. Nothing important <laughs> happened. What are you gonna say? <laughs> well nothing extraordinary happened. Nothing extraordinary. And what is your website, Dr. Matza? It is www.edmundmazza.com. And uh, please come and sign up. We'd love to have you. And you have a payment platform where people can pay with a credit card, but it's not PayPal, right? Exactly. I've got a Praise good the Christian Lord. firm Praise that the Lord. Uh, handles it. Um, nice. So yeah, we, we'd love to have the folks and uh, learn all the juicy events of history from the last 50 years. Wonderful. That will, obviously, that'll be the top thing in the show notes. Perfect. All right. Super nerd. Alrighty, the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions for the Mods of uh, Thesis 4.0 or other good <laughs> news items. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors, and at least one Mass is said every single day, plus one traditional Catholic Requiem Mass for everybody who died in the previous weeks. And it's not just in Ukraine and um, in Europe where we need to pray for the priests and, and their, their safety. Um, I, I don't know if we had any stories out of Canada of priests being specifically targeted, but there, there's crazy things happening all over. I hear there's even a convoy here in the United States supposed to be driving from California to, to Washington, D.C. I'm sure we'll talk about that on the other podcast. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff is happening right now. Pray for the priests because if we end up in a situation where we don't have electricity— Getting to confession is going to be very difficult. So definitely pray for them. Indeed. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. It is a value for value podcast. If you found something of value in this podcast, whether it was entertainment, education, reassurance, or whatever, um, or even if it's just uh, the voice, the sound of Anne's voice helps you stay awake because it drives you to rage and that keeps you from driving <laughs> off the road at night, whatever value you get out of the podcast, <laughs> I stumbled on my own notes here. Whatever you get out of the podcast, I humbly uh, suggest that uh, you consider giving some value back and you could go to supernerdmedia.com to figure out how to do that. I'd like to thank a few donors since the last time we podcasted, which has been a little while. Got an email from somebody saying that they were suffering from podcast withdrawal. Um, anyway, the donors through the mailbox, Stephen, uh, Pamela says, I have shared and referenced your ivermectin webpage more times than I can count. Only God knows how many lives you've helped save. 
And then Michael says, listening to Ann and yourself and the rest of the crew has been a great boon to my continued conversion and education. Um, and then nobody, nobody via Bitcoin this week, although I do need to do a make good. I had mentioned a few shows back or a couple shows back that somebody had donated through Bitcoin. I had no idea who it was. It was Radioactive Rich. Um, and he was surprised that his note didn't come through. Yeah, notes don't get attached to Bitcoin donations. So if you want to uh, have your name mentioned, just email me separately on that one. And with that, I will turn it over to Ann for Matthew 17:20. Our fourfold intention, pray every day and fast twice a week if you can. Fourfold intention is that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and he needs all the time he can get, so we're not praying to hasten anybody's death here, which I think is sinful anyway, um, and that he someday achieve the beatific vision, which is possible, because Christ, Christ's mercy is infinite, even for someone as evil and wicked and who has done the damage that Bergoglio has done. That would be like a drop relative to the ocean, um, relative to the infinitude of our Lord's mercy, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger, if he has anything that he needs to repent of, that he repent, that he die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and that he someday achieve the beatific vision, nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Pachamama demon, pray for us. Pray for us. Amen. Pray for us. Amen. And while the silence goes on, I didn't know if, if uh, Mark said anything about staying salty or staying frosty. <laughs> Stay frosty, my friends. Dead air. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. the phone, sweetheart. <laughs>